Um, warm up your vocal cords. The Syrophoenician woman sells Syrophoenician seashells by the Syrophoenician seashore. Say it again. The Syrophoenician woman sells Syrophoenician seashells by the Syrophoenician seashore. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it, Bree? All right. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, as we come and um, gather around your word tonight, I pray that you would, you would teach each of us what you have to, to teach us out of this passage this evening. Would we listen with attentive ears to your spirit and, um, and learn all that you have for us this evening. In your name, amen. All right, as we continue our way through Mark's gospel... Um, I'll turn it on that'll work we continue our way through Mark's gospel we come to the faith of the Syrophoenician woman from a couple of weeks ago you might remember that um, they moved from the region of Gennesaret and tonight we hear that they've moved to the region of Tyre and Sidon If I move out of the way, you can see that Tyre and Sidon are basically on the coastline. They are towns that are mentioned quite a bit in the, in the, um, not just in the Gospels, but all of the books of the Bible. Why did they move to the region of Tyre and Sidon? I think possibly that, that the crowds got too much for the, for the disciples and for Jesus. And you can see in verse, um, in verse 24, Jesus wanted to, to go into a house and, and not be known that he was there. He didn't want anyone to know that he was in the house, and yet he couldn't be hidden. I'm suggesting that, that Jesus moved to the region of Tyre and Sidon for a bit of seclusion. There's quite a number of examples that, that Jesus moves away from the crowds and the hustle and bustle and he, he goes to a, a spot of seclusion or a desolate place and he com- comes before God and, and just draws himself back into God. And I reckon that's what ha- happened tonight. But yet he could not be hidden. His fame had spread ahead of him and this woman who had heard about the healings and the, the casting out of demons and that sort of thing, she comes to him and falls down at his feet. Mark explains that she was a Syrophoenician woman. Syrophoenicia was a, an area a little bit further north of Tyre and Sidon. So she's basically not a Jewish person. She's a Gentile. And her dilemma was that she had a daughter who was demon-possessed. Verse 26 tells us that, that she asked Jesus, no, no, she begged Jesus to cast out the demon out of her daughter. Have you ever seen anyone begging? I mean properly begging. 
we can beg mum and dad or, or someone for, for $4 to go to the movies. Now, it costs more than that, doesn't it? <laughs> we can beg, beg our boss for a pay rise. Um, we could beg, beg someone on the street to take a photo for us or something like that. But this woman was truly begging. She, she had a life or death situation. It wasn't just something superficial that she was after. She wanted Jesus to, to change her life. She had put her hope in everything else and yet found no resolution to the problem. To give us some more of the background and, and intensity of the, the, um, the situation that we have tonight, I want to just have a look at the parallel story in in Matthew's gospel Matthew chapter 15 and it's basically the same sort of story but with a little bit of added extra to it and it comes in the same sort of progress as Mark's gospel it's entitled the faith of a Canaanite woman and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her. He did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be done for it as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Can you see the, the passion and emotion and desperation in her voice and the, the pure um, passion and emotion that would have been in the air surrounding her? We've talked about demon possession in Mark's Gospel um, it was a, more than a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 5. Demon possession is, is something that, that doesn't enable a person to live a normal life. The kind of medical help that they received was not compassionate. It was not even medical. And the symptoms of demon possession were usually things like self-harm, cutting themselves with rocks like the man in the living in the tombs um, or being thrown into fires or unexplained falling down and like I said they were unable to live a normal kind of life and even though it's not mentioned in the passage I want to suggest that this woman is more than likely a widow as well there's no husband mentioned because if there was a husband he would legally have to go to Jesus and um, and she would not have the authority to go to Jesus 
it's a male-dominated society that, that Jesus lives in, remember. And she would not have the authority if she was married to go to Jesus. And the reason I raise this is because that widows are generally cared for by their children. So if this woman had a demon-possessed child and it was possibly her only child and she was demon-possessed and she died or something like that, the, she would have no one to care for her in her old age. And yet, even with all the passion and desperation that this woman gives off, even all the passion and desperation and emotion that's in the air, Jesus does something bizarre. Now, all due respect, but Jesus does something really bizarre. In Matthew's Gospel, he flat out ignores her. And in Mark's Gospel tonight, he basically calls her a dog and gives her a rude shove-off. I'm not proud of this story, but um, last year, no, this year, towards the beginning of the year, I went to a, a Broncos game, and they were playing the uh, Parramatta Eels. Jeff goes, yeah. <laughs> they were playing the Parramatta Eels, and for those of you who don't know, this is Anthony Watmo. He's a very not a, a, not a very nice character. Um, he plays for the Parramatta Eels, played for the Manly Sea Eagles, and he plays for New South Wales. So, of course, he's not very well liked. But during this, this Broncos game, he did a, a, sol- a shoulder charge on one of the Broncos players. And after they replayed it up on the big screen, I looked at it and I'm like, oh, that's, that's rotten, that's dog, dog-like. And the passion that I had in, the, in myself at the moment, at the time, I called out to him, ah, oh, Anthony Watmo, you dirty dog. I do not condone that kind of activity. Do not do it. Because the gentleman one row in front of me turned around and looked at me as if I'd said something like that to his mother. And you can see that even in today's terms, being called a dog is a very derogatory sort of term, isn't it? You wouldn't want to be called a dog because they're not always clean characters or animals. They're, you know, they can turn around and lick their own bottoms. So they're not clean sort of animals. And it's a derogatory sort of term. That's what the Jewish people considered Gentiles to be. They called them dogs. They were unclean, unclean people. Why? I'm going to race you through some of the, some of the covenants that are in the Bible this evening to try and explain a little bit of why the, the Gentile people were called dogs or considered dogs. When we look through the, the covenants that were in the Bible, one of the main ones is the initial covenant that God makes with Abraham that he would become a great nation 
and that all nations would be blessed because of him. Genesis chapter 26, it's 22. It says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now we all know after Abraham comes uh, Isaac, Jacob, and then from there the nation of Israel is sort of the family tree starts to get larger and larger. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. The Israelites, or Hebrews as they were called, were slaves in Egypt. And then God rescued them, redeemed them through Moses. And in the desert of Sinai, he sets up a covenant with them, the Ten Commandments. It's a covenant that they would be his people and he would be their God. The subtle intent of the Ten Commandments was to, to show the surrounding nations that God could be trusted, that you didn't have to lie, covet, cheat your way through life, work seven days a week, 12 hours a day, because the God of Israel could be trusted for food, clothing, finances, etc., and the, the covenant was for Israel, but the blessing was to be for the surrounding nations because the surrounding nations would see how the Israelites behaved and how much they trusted in their God and therefore they would come and know God as well. Except Israel failed miserably at, at keeping the Ten Commandments, just as we do. They failed miserably and thought because they have had the covenant, they were the only ones that were to be on the inner circle. And they treated the surrounding nations with contempt. This is where Jesus comes in. As the perfect one to follow God's law, he is the one to fulfill how to how to shine your light to the surrounding nations. The prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah talks a lot about Jesus being the one to, to fulfill shining your light to the surrounding nations, being a blessing to the surrounding nations. Isaiah 49.6 says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. But again, that's not what we have here tonight. Jesus is saying to this lady that it, the time wasn't right for the Gentiles to be included in the people of God. Jesus' mission was first and foremost to the Jews, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is because of the promises that were initially made to the house of Israel. 
God's not finished with the house of Israel yet. There's still promises that are are yet to be fulfilled. And Jesus is basically saying to this woman, no, the time has not yet come for you to be accepted into God's mercy. Now, on a, a bit of a side note, there are specific examples of the, the Gentiles being included or, or God sending missionaries to Gentile nations. Jonah was one. We know his story, don't we? We're all taught about Jonah and his big fish in, in Sunday school. He was sent to Nineveh, an Assyrian city, to preach the gospel, to preach repentance for their sins. And the whole big fish episode happened because Jonah runs away from God. But then after Jonah spends three days in the belly of the fish, he ends up going to Nineveh and he preaches repentance to those people. And God showers mercy on the people of Nineveh because he saw their repentance. Back to our story. Jesus had been given... His mission from the Father. His mission was first and foremost to the Jews. And then from there, his disciples would take up the message of the gospel, of the good news of repentance of sin and forgiveness of sin, to the rest of the world. Let's just have a look at, at Acts chapter, chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. I'm going to read it from here. So when they had come together, this is after Jesus' resurrection and towards his ascension, he says, uh, his disciples said to him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, it's not up to us to understand what Jesus is doing here. Sometimes it's, it's not up to us to even explain the things that we don't understand. But Jesus is basically saying that the time has not yet come for the Gentiles, including this woman, to be included in the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but that would be highly discouraging for me. If I came to Jesus with sheer desperation and an emotion in my voice, and he said... No, sorry, it's not yet time. It'd be my reaction, I'd be like, okay, I tried, time to go home. But this statement doesn't discourage this woman. It encourages her all the more. And in her humility, she comes before before Jesus and, and calls him Lord. Her progression of thoughts may have gone something like this she knows that Jesus can heal her daughter so she cries out to him in sheer desperation 
and then he flat out ignores her. She must know a lot more about God than we give her credit for, than what her nationality would would normally give her credit for. She is claiming that God is a God who has an abundance of compassion and mercy. Have a look at her words in verse 28. She says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table can eat the children's crumbs. She says that God's compassion and mercy overflows from his children off the table and down to the dogs at the feet of the children. Those of us with kids will know that children are messy creatures. Even teenagers are. One of the worst things to feed your children is rice. Wet, sticky rice. And if you pile it up on a, on a kid's plate... If you put a decent sort of helping of rice on a kid's plate, you'll generally get some on the table and most likely on the floor. A housekeeping tip that my wife told me is don't try and clean up wet, sticky rice. You wait until the morning when it's dried and then you can just sweep it up. Otherwise, the other option is to call the dog in. The dog receives the blessing of eating the yummy, sticky rice flavoured with soy sauce or with little prawns or little bits of egg in it or something like that. And this lady is saying that God's mercy is kind of like that. God feeds his children and cares for his children, but his abundance of mercy falls off the children's plate, off the table and down to the dogs at the feet of the children. And the dogs get to clean up those crumbs. This lady again says that Jesus is Lord. She comes to him in in reverence and, and faith. And then in this small sentence relays God's grace and mercy. It's kind of funny that she is telling the Son of God what God the Father is like. It's a little bit interesting. Jesus commends her on her faith and, and basically sends her away with full assurance of um, her daughter being healed. Again, she goes away with a full assurance of being healed from Jesus. And after this, we don't hear anything of the Syrophoenician woman. We don't know whether she had her sins forgiven. We don't know whether she saw Jesus at the cross or or prayed the sinner's prayer or anything like that. But when we look look at the the progression of Mark's chapter of Mark's gospel, chapter seven, when we look at the progression of the stories that go through there. It's not an accident that he places this story in there. It's not an accident that when he was writing down what he saw, he remembers this story in a progression of events. You'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, he began the chapter 
with telling the, the disciples and the crowd and the Pharisees, it's not what you do, it's not the religion that you do or the traditions that you hold to that makes you clean or unclean in the, the disciples not washing their hands. And he moves on and says that it's not the food you eat that makes you clean or unclean. It's the opposite. It's what comes out of your mouth that that defiles your body. And in our passage tonight, Mark is saying that it's, it's not your nationality, your Jewishness, that makes you a child of God, but your faith in Jesus Christ. I've got three reasons why I've told you all this information. I've just verbal vomited information at you this mo- tonight. And I've got three reasons why it's good to know this information. Number one, it is excellent to live on this side of the cross. We are not considered Gentiles anymore. I don't know about you, but I'm not a Jewish person. And I don't think there's many of us here. So if we weren't Jewish people living on the other side of the cross, we wouldn't be included in the covenant of God. The second thing is that coming to Jesus is open for all. We are not to discern who is worthy of the gospel. It means that the Syrophoenician woman can come to Jesus in faith and have her life changed. It means that the drug addict down the street can come to Jesus in faith and have his life transformed. It means that the prostitute, the dirty prostitute, can come to Jesus and have her life changed in faith. And here's one that I struggle with. It means that the Muslim can come to Jesus in faith and have his eyes opened. It means that the poorest of the poor from the housing commission estate down the road can come to Jesus in faith and have their life changed. Because it's not up to us to decide who is unclean and who is clean. It's not up to us to decide or to discern who should be worthy of the gospel. We should be living our lives, shining our light to the nations. Because just as that promise was made to the, to the disciples that they would be witnesses of all the things that Jesus has done, to the nations, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We have had those things revealed to us and we should be communicating that to those around us. The third thing tonight is that I really want you to look at yourself. I really want to, you to examine yourself and to see if you have the same sort of faith that the Syrophoenician woman has. She came to Jesus in faith, called him Lord, 
and asked him to change her life. Jesus is not only able to to change her life, but he is able to change your life as well. Because of the cross, he is able to forgive us of our sins and he has enabled us to come back to God. Isn't that excellent? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the the things we have learnt about the Syrophoenician woman this evening. Thank you that she came to you in faith and asked you to change her life. And because of your great mercy, you did. Lord, help us to, to place our faith in you as well, in everything that we do, not just not just on a Sunday evening, but in every aspect of our lives, Monday through to Sunday, week by week, day by day. Lord, and from that, may we be able to be grasping the opportunities that come to us to be able to speak your gospel, your grace, your mercy to those around us. May we be able to to communicate who you are and what you have done in our lives. And Lord, may that um, win people to you. And pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you.